I want you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to the book of 1 John. We're going to start a new sermon series for the rest of the summer that will take us through June and July. And we're going to walk through the letters of John. Before we do that, we want to pray that God would bless the reading of his word here together today. So let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for salvation. We thank you that Jesus died and that he rose again. And today, as we open your word and once again are reminded of the great truths found in Scripture, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to what you want us to hear. God, I pray that you would draw us closer to you through what we uh, read today, what we see today. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would do a convicting work in this room and those watching, those listening right now. And Father, I pray today, Lord, as we already have for a lot of people who are hurting, Lord, I add one name to that list of people we want to pray for today, Mike Shrewsbury, who's battling cancer. God, I pray that you would put your hand upon him and do a miraculous work in his life, uh, a life of encouragement, God, that you would just do an incredible thing in him. And God, we thank you for what you're going to do in these next few moments. And if there's someone here, someone watching, someone listening who has never come to that moment where they have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray right now, here today, this would be the day that they make the decision to trust in Jesus, to believe that he died and that he rose again, and that this would be the day of salvation for them. And Father, for that we give you the praise, we give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we're going to start walking through the letters of John. Now, John wrote five different books that are in the New Testament. And obviously, he wrote the Gospel of John. He also wrote the book of Revelation. We're not going to be touching on those two. We're going to focus in on three letters that he wrote near the end of his life, somewhere around 85 to 95 AD. He wrote them from the city of Ephesus, which uh, is in uh, modern-day Turkey. And he wrote these letters to encourage the church. And he wrote these letters not to a specific individual, not to any specific church. He wrote them, and they're actually referred to as circular letters. Now, that doesn't mean they just keep running in circles and they don't really have any meaning. What it means is this, is that they were meant to be handed about. They were meant to be given to the next person and the next person to go from church to church and person to person, generation to generation, century to century, millennia to millennia, that it's to be handed off over and over again to the family of God, the believers, those who've trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, so that we would know how to live. Because in that day and in this day, obviously there is a great attack that is underway against the truth of the gospel. We know that the Word of God, the Bible, is under attack. We know the church is under attack. We know that Jesus himself is under attack. If you make the statement, you make the declaration that Jesus is a great teacher and a great model and a great example and a great rabbi and a a great person to listen to and to read and to study, you will get no arguments, you will get no attacks whatsoever. But the minute that you claim that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah who came to this earth, who died on the cross after living a sinless life, that he died on the cross for the sins of all mankind, that he was buried, and three days later that he rose again, and through believing in him and him alone that we find salvation, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through him. It doesn't matter what religion you are or denomination you are. It doesn't matter where you grew up, what color your skin, that if you believe in Jesus that you will spend eternity in heaven because of what he's done. When you claim that, the attacks are going to come. And we live in a world today where the attacks are everywhere. And so that's why John wrote these letters. 
Now, he wrote them specifically to battle what at that time was a, a, a belief system called Gnosticism, which basically was this. It was an attack on the deity and the incarnation of Christ. It didn't attack the fact that Jesus lived, that he was a person, that he walked, and then he talked, and that he, you know, that he preached great sermons, or that he you know, was able to do great things. In fact, Gnosticism would say that from the moment that Jesus was baptized, that, that the Holy Spirit of God descended on Jesus and began to use Jesus as a man, that he did supernatural things, and then the moment that he died on the cross, that the Spirit of God left him. In other words, it was an attack on the deity and the incarnation of Christ. Now listen, when you attack the deity and the incarnation of Christ, you attack the gospel, you attack the word of God, you're saying that the word of God, the Bible, is absolutely 100% a lie. You can't say that the Bible is somewhat true. You can't say that some of the things within the word of God are true. You can't say, well, I believe some of it, but not all of it. You can't say, I'm going to follow some of it, but not all of it. It is the infallible, inerrant, inspired Word of God, breathed out from God, lived out the living Word through Jesus' sinless life, death, burial, and resurrection. And that is the reason that John wrote these letters, and that's the reason today that we are here, to preach that truth. And so over these next uh, eight or nine weeks, we're going to be walking through 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, so that we will be reminded of why and how uh, important it is that we continue to cling to, to hold to, the truth of the gospel, the deity of Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the only way, that he is the only way to eternal life so that we can be exactly who Christ called us to be the moment that we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. So let's go to 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to read uh, through the 10 verses that are found here. Then we're just going to walk through again over the next eight or nine weeks. We're going to walk through verse by verse, thought by thought, word by word, through 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. 1 John chapter 1 verse 1 says this, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, talking the word of life is Jesus, That life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so our joy may be complete. Verse 5 says, this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So let's just walk through again these 10 verses and kind of spend a little bit of time to remind ourselves to kind of recite to ourselves the truth of the gospel. And the first thing is this, that we understand from God's word is that Jesus is still the way, the truth, and the life. That he is still the way, the truth, and the life. Go back to verse 1. John, like he did in the Gospel of John, you remember in the Gospel of John how that started, right? In the beginning was the what? 
talking about Jesus. And so he begins his gospel in the beginning was the word. In other words, Jesus has always been. He is now and he will always be here in 1 John. He starts with this, what was from the beginning. In other words, Jesus is not a man. He was not born. He did not start the moment that he was born in Bethlehem. That's not the the beginning of Jesus, the Son of God, that he has always been, that he is with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He is God the Son. He has always existed and will always exist. And so he says, from what was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, what we observed and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He starts it with this picture, reminding us of what he wrote wrote about in the gospel in John chapter 14, verse six, that we talked about just a moment ago, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. John wants us to understand that he not only has heard about Jesus, he saw him. He talked with him. He walked with him. He followed him. He heard these things with his own ears. He saw them with his own eyes. He literally touched the son of God. And he sets himself up as an eyewitness to to be able to allow himself the, the, uh, the understanding among everyone who's going to read this letter that this is someone that can be trusted. This is someone that can be listened to. This is someone that can be counted on. And so what he says from the, that Jesus has been from the beginning. Now listen, the very basis of our walk with Christ, the very basis of our salvation is understanding that Jesus was not merely a man, that Jesus is God. And that's why he starts this statement right up front. Jesus is God. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus was here at the moment of creation. He was here before that. He is here today, even though he died on the cross. Now these 60 years ago, John writes, that he is still alive today and he will be alive for eternity because he was not a man. He is God. Today, the church of Jesus Christ needs to be reminded of that truth. This past week, I had the opportunity of, uh, two weeks ago, of speaking at an event in Raleigh along with Ann Graham Lotz. And as we were together and talking and speaking, uh, she shared and and they shared in that that conference that we were speaking to that there was a study that was recently done by George Barna that said this, that 51%, 51% of evangelical churches today and evangelical pastors today, like, like I am an evangelical pastor, right? So 51% of people like me and people like you, part of an evangelical church, that 51% of them have a biblical worldview. Now think about that for a moment. You say, well, what do you mean by biblical worldview? Believes that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That believes that the word of God is the inerrant, inspired, infallible truth. That it is the word of God. That it doesn't contain the word of God. Those are buzzwords. If you ever hear somebody say, this contains the word of God, stop listening and walk out. Because it is the word of God, everything in it. And so when you think about the context that we have 51% of our evangelical pastors in our country today that don't necessarily hold to a biblical worldview, then you wonder why our country is in trouble. Our country is not in trouble because of Republicans or Democrats messing up in Washington. Our country is not in trouble because of the last election. Our country is not in trouble because of taxes or inflation or the price of gas. Our country is in trouble because we have walked away from the truth that Jesus is the son of God and the hope for the world. And that's why our country is in trouble. And so that's why John writes this letter to make sure that we understand. Yes, we know that Jesus was from the beginning. 
And he says, not only that, I saw it and I heard it and I watched it. I observed it. I touched it. I was there and I can tell you, take it to the bank. Jesus is exactly who he said he was. So Jesus today is still the way, the truth and the life. He was not just a man. He was God. And for every person in this room, those watching right now, wherever you might be, listen, that right there is where you've got to start your faith walk. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter if it's a Baptist or a Methodist or Episcopal or whatever else church it might be. Non-denominational, community church, Bible church, all great, all names, all preferences. What matters is this. Do you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? And if you believe that, if you can start there, that he was not a man, that he was God, who emptied himself and came to this earth to become like us. And he lived a sinless life. And he died a substitutionary death that he paid for your sins and my sins. And then three days later, he did what you and I cannot do. He walked out of that tomb victorious over sin and Satan and death. And he gives us through believing in him the promise and the hope of eternal life. If you can start there, then it's gonna be a good journey. Jesus is still the way, the truth, and the life. And so we see and understand that that is where John starts. From the beginning, Jesus. But we also recognize in this passage that he goes on to say, and because of that, that we are one family because of Jesus. That we are one family. Look what it says in verses 3 and 4. In verses 3 and 4, what we've seen and what we've heard, we also declare to you so that you might also, so you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. The clear message that John is giving here is this, is that we have fellowship with one another, not because of our place that we live in, not because of our denomination, not because of our choices of, of, you know, cities or states or nations that we live in. It's not because of the color of our skin. We have fellowship with one another because of Jesus. We have fellowship with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ, period. And that is such an important thing to understand. Such an important thing for us to grasp because again, Today, we get so caught up in denominationalism. We get so caught up in, well, I'm a member of that church or this church, and that's great. Those are preferences. We love the fact that you come together and are part of this local body of believers, Thomas Road Baptist Church. But here's my goal as a pastor here. What our mission together here is not so that you can be the best Thomas Road Baptist Church member you can be. Our goal, our mission is so that you will be the best Christ follower that you can be because we do not have fellowship because we're part of Thomas Road. We have fellowship because Jesus died and he rose again. And so John wants to make it clear right up front, front, that it's only through Christ that we can have fellowship with one another. And then he makes that statement, so that your joy will be complete. Got to be honest with you, as a pastor, I see so many Christians today who don't have joy. So many Christians today that in their journey, man, they're just miserable. They're always discouraged, always depressed, always angry, always complaining, always mad about this person or that person and, you know, this group or that group or this statement or that statement or this song and that song and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just sitting back there, dude, come on, relax. We have been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. And listen, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect, but he is perfect. And we can have fellowship with one another because of who Jesus is. 
Man, we've got to understand that our joy can only be complete when we recognize that we have fellowship with one another because of what Christ has done, because of the gift of Jesus Christ, because of what he came to do. Now understand, as John writes this statement so our joy can be complete, he then immediately goes into a second passage that I believe clearly gives us an understanding of what we face here today. Because the third idea that he gives us in this first chapter of 1 John is just simply this, is that hypocrisy can destroy the family. Hypocrisy destroys our family. Look what it says in verse 5 and 6. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. In your Bibles, you ought to underline the statement in verse 5, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. In other words, we can't have it both ways. We can't live our lives the way we want to live and do whatever we want to do and live a sinful life and and run with the crowd and run with the world and go fit in with the crowd and fit in with whatever's happening and what is popular, you know, what culture is doing, what culture says is great. We can't sit there and follow all the influencers that are out there like, hey, I want to be like this person. I want to do this. I want to dress like them. I want to act like them. I want to live like them. Oh, but also I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You can't do both. We have to recognize that as followers of Jesus Christ, even though Romans chapter 3 very very clearly tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we were all born sinners. The moment that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died and that He rose again, that you called on Him to save you, here's what you became. Yes, you will still sin, but you are no longer called a sinner. You are now a sinner who is a saint because of Jesus Christ. And saints can't live in darkness. We have been called out of the darkness. We've been called out of our sinful past to live a new creation, a new creature, a new life because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That's why throughout Scripture, Paul is always talking about how he is writing his letters, his books to the saints. It talks about how that he has given, God has given so many to the church so that we can edify and equip the what? The saints. In other words, God expects us to live differently. God does not expect us to be called children of light and yet still walk in darkness. The two cannot coexist. And here's what I think the problem we have in our culture today. The problem that we have in our church today is that our churches today are full of Christians who are more interested in figuring out how they can be a Christian and live like the world rather than be someone who was in the world who now wants to live like a Christian. That the the church today is full of people figuring out how close I can get to the line. Like, what can I do? Like, how far over here can I live so that I can be like my friends and I can be like the culture and I can be like what I see on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and Facebook? Like, how can I kind of be like the movie stars and the TV stars and the music stars? And how can I listen to it and watch and do all the things that they do and still be assured of heaven? When you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it was not so you could grab a ticket out of a a little ticket booth and put it in your back pocket for the moment that your heart stops beating so you can guarantee you'll get yourself into heaven. It was so that you will live a different life while you are here and help others get to heaven as, as well. That's what we are called to do. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Goes on to say in verse six, we have, uh, we have fellowship, it says. We have fellowship 
with him. And yet we walk in darkness when we do. We are lying and are not practicing the truth. I don't want to be called a liar. I don't want to be called a hypocrite when it comes to my relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's what I know. I know that as a follower of Christ, there will be times that I will be called a hypocrite. Because even as a saint, I'm still going to sin. I'm still going to mess up. I'm still going to blow it. I'm still going to do things that that, that dishonor God. I know that. And so I know that there will be times that a human will call me a hypocrite, maybe because of what I've done or what, what actions that I've taken or a mistake that I made. I get that. I understand that. Here's what I do not want. I do not want the God of the universe, God my Father, through His Son Jesus Christ, to look at me as a hypocrite. I don't want God the Father to look at me and say, oh, no, no, I can't have Him in the family. Because of he lives in darkness. Man, we got to make sure. When you can become a Christ follower, when you become a Christian, man, you are a saint. And it requires you to live differently. And so hypocrisy destroys the family. And if hypocrisy destroys the family, John goes on to write that obedience actually will build the family. Look what it says in verse 7. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Walking with him cleanses us from all sin. In other words, we must base our every decision, base our every step, every single day. What would Jesus do? Those old wristbands that people used to wear, that they would put on their bracelets, they would put on their wrists, they say WWJD. I remember the first time I saw one of those. I was in middle school, I think, maybe elementary school. I thought it was really cool. I wanted to get one because I thought maybe kind of cool. I could say, what would Jonathan do? I thought that'd be kind of neat, right, to get one of those. But here's the problem. The problem is I think a lot of people who wear those bracelets and who try to live by that creed also sit back and think, like, what would Jonathan do? And not looking at, like, me as the pastor, but looking at themselves. Like, what would Tom do? What would Bill do? In other words, disregarding what Jesus told us to do. It's not a life of obedience. It's like, hey, it's all about me. I want to do what I want to do, and I want to live how I want to live, and it's going to be fine because I'm a follower of Christ. I've got the ticket in my back pocket. I know I'm going to heaven. I don't have to worry about that because I can't lose my salvation. So, man, I'm just going to live whatever I want to live, however I want to live, and do whatever I want to do for the rest of my days because I'm guaranteed heaven. That is such a disaster of the Christian life. And yet so many today try to do it. Obedience builds the family. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another, verse 7 says. And the blood of Jesus, his son, will cleanse all of our sins. That's an interesting dichotomy. An interesting statement there that, wait a minute, if we walk in the light, that means we're walking away from sin. True. But now we're saints, right? We're not sinners anymore because of what Jesus has done. So what do you mean now that also that his blood will cleanse all of our sins? Because again, we're not perfect. We can't attain, obtain perfection in this world. We can't do it. You can try, you can't get it. You can't do it because we are imperfect human beings. But that brings us to the last part of this passage that we've got to recognize we have to be honest with ourselves. Let's be honest in what God's word says. Look what it says in verses 8 through 10. So we have no, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, you are going to mess up. As a saint, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you will mess up. But verse 9 tells us this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, because we are 
a saint, because we have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, because we have been forgiven of all of our sins, even in our present state as a follower of Jesus Christ, when we mess up, we have the guarantee that all we must do is get on our knees before God and say, God, I am sorry for what I've done. And God has already promised 2,000 years ago, you're forgiven. How cool is that? Isn't that great? But then look how John ends this chapter, the first part of this letter. In verse 10, he goes back, but if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In other words, Jesus is the way, truth, and life. Jesus is the son of God. He's the perfect, sinless son of God who died who was buried and who rose again. And through believing in him, that we have fellowship with him and fellowship with one another because of what Christ has done. We have been removed from our former self and and put into a position where we're now in our present state, where we are saints, where we are a new creation. All the old has passed away and everything is made new. But in light of that, yes, we're going to have moments that we sin. Yes, we're going to have moments that we mess up. But here's the key. The key is this, 1 John 1, 9, when it tells us that if we confess our sins, that word confess there is the Greek word homologeo, which literally means this, to agree with. You see, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is instantly inside of you, walking with you every single day. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come alongside of you, be your comforter, and walk with you through every day for the rest of your life. Let me just tell you something. If you're walking through this thing called your Christian life, If you're claiming to be a follower of Jesus Christ and yet living in the world, living in sin, and you do not feel the conviction of your sin, here's what I would say to you. Be very afraid because confession is something that you understand. You agree with the Holy Spirit's conviction. I've messed up and I feel badly about it. God, I'm sorry. But if you do not feel that conviction then I got to be honest with you. The question that remains is, are you even a Christian at all? Are you even a follower of Christ at all? Because sinners who have become saints because of the blood of Jesus Christ, they're going to live differently. And when they mess up, they're going to feel differently. And when they find sin present in their lives, man, it's going to drive them crazy because they know they have dishonored God. And if that's not something that you feel, let me just tell you right up front, right here, right now, this letter that we've talked about today that we're going to be talking about this summer, it was written to people who are in the family of God, people who've already become Christians. But Paul wrote over in Romans that if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died and that he rose again, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be a new creation, will become a saint the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today or watching today or listening today and you've never done that, hey, today's the day. Right now is the time. Because i got to be honest with you, when you spend time over in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 4, when it's talking about like the last days and when it's talking about what the last days are going to look like, got to be honest with you. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out we've got to be close. That there's going to be a moment that God speaks to his son and says, go get my children. There's going to be a moment, and I believe it's sooner rather than later, that we're going to be raptured up, called out, 
and the window of opportunity for you to be a follower of Jesus Christ will be done. Don't let that happen to you. Today you've heard the truth, not because I spoke it, because God's word spoke it. And my prayer for you today is that you've heard the truth, that you'll embrace the truth, that you'll believe the truth, and that in a moment you will be changed by the truth for today and for all of eternity. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the clarity that your word brings to each and every one of us because we need it because we're so confused. There are so many contradictory messages that we hear every day. That every day that everything that your word says is under attack. We, we know that, God. And, and Lord, there are times that we can sit back and we don't know what to do or where to go. God, we thank you that today your word makes it clear. So Father, I pray today if there's someone here that needs to make this decision, that needs to make things right with you, God. I pray that today that they will have the opportunity of believing in Jesus, that he died and that he rose again, turning from their former selves and turning to, trusting in, believing in you. And that today that they will be welcomed into fellowship because of Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life into the family of God. And God, for that, we give you the praise. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, our team is gathering here at the front. In a moment, we're going to stand together and we're going to sing and Charles is going to lead us. And as we do, the altar's open. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, right now, this is the moment, this is the time that you need to come down to the front and talk with one of our team members. Maybe you're here today and you've kind of gotten off a little bit. Maybe you are a believer, you're a follower of Christ, but man, you've kind of gotten a little desensitized to the sin that's present in your life. Maybe today you need to get back and say, hey, I need to recognize I've got to live differently. I've been trying to walk too close to the line. Maybe you want to come and kneel here and just say, God, I'm sorry, confession, right? I agree with you, right? And today I'm going to turn it around. Maybe you want to come and pray for a family member. Maybe today, in light of what Charles preached about last week, maybe there's some families today that this week that God has been working on you and your family that you, hey, you need to get things right now. And the altar's a great place to do that. Maybe you want to join our church family. Maybe you want to come for baptism, whatever it is. I just encourage you today, right here, right now, Make a decision with God to do the right thing. Let's stand together. Let's sing. The altar's open. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you more. I need you every hour. I need you. You're my one defense, my righteousness. Father, today we recognize we have no defense against the world. We have no defense against Satan. We know that he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. We know that he's out to stop us dead in our tracks. We get that. 
But God, we know as that song clearly tells us, you are our defense. You are our righteousness. God, it is in you that we find everything that we need. So Lord, today we declare we do need you. Lord, we need you so desperately. So God, I pray that as we walk from this place today, out into a world that we know darkness is pervasive, God, let us be light. Let us walk in the light and not by simply saying it. God, we do not want to deceive ourselves. God, we want to say it and do it. And so God, I pray that's how we would live. God, I pray this room would be full of people who make the declaration today that I will live differently because of Christ who lives in me. And God, for that, we give you the praise that you give us that opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our altar remains open. We would love to talk with you. Do not walk out of here if you need to get things right with God. That's a mistake. It's a tragic mistake. Our altar's here. Our team is here. We'd love to talk with you. God bless you. Next week we'll be in 1 John chapter 2. God bless you. See you tonight, 5 o'clock. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.